0: Welcome to Who is Jesus, a limited edition podcast by Central Western Church in St. Louis. Each week, we explore a different aspect of Jesus' life, identity, self understanding, and purpose in the world. Our goal is to look beyond the hot takes to the historical sources themselves in order to see more clearly who Jesus is and why it matters for us. For more information about Jesus or about Central Western Church, please visit www.centralwestendchurch.com. And now, please enjoy this week's episode of Who is Jesus? Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 6, John chapter 20, verse 30, 31, chapter 21, verse 25. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. The word of the Lord.
1: The Lord be with you. Jesus, teacher, Jesus, the true Israel, Jesus, healer, which one of these three is unlike the others. Not a quiz, (laughs) not a children's game, just the third sermon in the series, who is Jesus. But I really do think that the third item in this list is somewhat different from the other two. Let me say what I mean. In my experience, people, I'm I'm talking about average people now, not scholars or people who are you like, crazy. You know, I'm, I'm talking about normal people. Normal people who have any interest at all in Jesus are, you know, willing to talk about, maybe ask questions, listen to conversation about what Jesus taught. That's not typically like, you know, throwing a match on a bonfire. It's, you know, it's, that's pretty low key. I know that scholars argue about it. You know, we're not dealing with those people. The second thing, though, is Jesus, the true Israel, as Eric pointed out last Sunday, not a concept that most people are that familiar with. Perhaps we should be more familiar with it, but Nevertheless, interesting, worth discussing, not exactly a hot topic around the water cooler, as they say. But Jesus' healer, people have opinions about that. I mean, if you've been around the church long, or if you've just been out in the world looking at church news online or whatever, you know that in the church, healing is a big old honking topic. People have opinions. Well, First of all, let's just acknowledge that some people just think there is no such thing, was no such thing, never happened. Just ridiculous. It was delusion or, or uh, outright lies. Just that's not what everybody thinks. That's not, a, not even what all people who aren't Christian would say they think. But some people think that, you know, some people think that. So we're just thinking, okay, that's, that's a set of people. And then there are other people who say, well, The historicity of the Acts is not a question. We're willing to accept that things happened. But we really can't be sure. Just like you cannot possibly prove that things in the past happened, there's no proof for the fact that Jesus healed people. And if if that offends you, you just need to start putting your thinking cap on, as they used to say in grade school. Think about it. What proof would avail someone who thought that the only things that could possibly happen in nature were things that were observant of the law of nature? There are people who just say there's no such thing as supernatural. didn't happen. Illusionary. It's not possible to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt to everyone that Jesus healed people. But what we can do, and legitimately, and with some credibility, is to say that Contemporary writers, contemporary with Jesus' time and slightly after, there was no question among many sources that professional historians, religious and secular, would recognize, no question that Jesus was doing some pretty, and here's the wording from those sources, startling, wondrous, extraordinary things. He was doing startling, wondrous, extraordinary things. Jewish writers said so, Roman writers said so, and certainly, of course, Christian writers said so. So, What we know that is Jesus' acts were remarkable not only because of the number of things attributed to him as healings but also because of the way he did them. Jesus healed people with words, sometimes just a word. He healed them with a touch, sometimes with spitting on their eyes. And in one case, at least one case we know of in Scripture, somebody just touched Jesus' clothing and she was healed. It was very unusual. There are no historical parallels that anyone advances. Nobody else in Jesus' time seems to have been doing the numbers of things and the types of things he was doing under the heading of healing. Plenty of people accept that that's true. But there's still a lot of argument about healing. Like, how do you do it? Was it only something Jesus did when he was on earth, and now it's like over, we're done with that? Sort of like speaking in tongues. Some people say, well, that was a good thing then, but we're not doing that now. And then, of course, all over the church in many different ways, in many different Christian traditions, there are rituals of healing that some people observe and, and really are faithful to. Other people just think they're ridiculous. Waste of time. There's a lot of disagreement about healing. But, you know, I just put that all into the category of that's religion. There's always going to be a lot of disagreement about it. But in today's scripture, we just heard Joel read, there's really not any disagreement. John doesn't seem to be doubting that extraordinary things were happening. But he does seem to be having questions about the man who was doing them. So he says to Jesus, are you the one who is to come? And I have capitalized one. Greek doesn't capitalize one, but I've capitalized it as clearly this is, John is making a messianic reference. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Don't you love that? This is John the Baptist asking the question. I mean, I just think that's amazing. John the Baptist was a prophet. He was the last prophet under the Old Covenant. But he was more than a prophet. Jesus says so just a few verses after what Joel read. Jesus said he was a prophet and more than a prophet. John was the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah. He was the man. He was the modern day, in those days, Elijah John's ministry represented the faith and the hope of ancient Israel. He was standing right on the edge of the old covenant and the new covenant, an amazing person, an amazing ministry. So you might have thought, since he was the forerunner of the Messiah, that Jesus' words and his works would have convinced John. They would have confirmed in John's mind that Jesus was Messiah. This is John the Baptist. He's the one who called Jesus the Lamb of God. I mean, that happened before today's scripture happened. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knew all the prophecies about the one who was to come. He knew all his people's history, too. John knew that in Moses' last Sermon, Moses' last message to his people. Moses had laid out very carefully the covenant conditions of God for the covenant between God and his people. Moses had laid out the blessings that would attend on obedience and faithfulness. And then in no uncertain terms, Moses had laid out the curses that would be consequent from disobedient unfaithfulness. This is what God says through Moses. Moses. He says, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees, this is what God says, all these curses will come on you. Now, I've redacted it to just a list, but in the script, of course, it's narrative. Listen to who's doing the the cursing. The Lord will strike you with wasting diseases. That doesn't sound good. The Lord will strike you with wasting diseases, with fever and inflammation. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. See, God doesn't just say these things are going to happen, you know, and and you you can make of them what you will. I'm telling you, Moses says, God told me to tell you, God's going to do this to you. God's going to afflict you with boils, tumors, and festering sores. Ooh. Madness and blindness. And because you did not serve the Lord your God in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and abject poverty... You will serve the enemies the Lord will send against you. See, John knew all that. John knew the prophecies and he knew the histories. And John knew that that's exactly what happened. Repeatedly, repeatedly, read the Old Testament. The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. I'm quoting here from Judges, which is a fairly early book in the Old Testament. But you could sample throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, over and over and over They did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Therefore, in his anger against Israel, I mean, look at the cause and effect here. The Lord gave them over into the hands of their enemies. And he did over and over, century after century. I mean, it's almost aggravating when you read the Old Testament. You think, my God, What was up and down, up and down? Unfaithfulness, disobedience, come back to the Lord. Unfaithfulness, disobedience, come back to the Lord. Over and over, God gives them into the hands of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, empire after empire, finally culminating in the empire that the Romans led, probably the mightiest empire that had ever existed up to that time. God just gave them to their enemies. And what's more, God... Not only allowed, but he gave the Israelites to suffer those wasting diseases he had warned them against. Skin diseases. Scripture usually sort of shorthands that and calls them all leprosy. But various skin diseases. Blindness. Crippling disorders. Fevers. Demon possession. How could they not conclude that God's covenant curses had come upon them? How could they not? So, in that lived reality of divine retribution, where could the Israelites turn? Only to the same scriptures that had articulated the covenant. Because, century after century, not only had the Israelites disobeyed, God had sent prophets to say that a Savior would come, that God would send a Savior to redeem his people from the curse of their sins. I can't help but believe that John the, John the Baptist probably heard, he wasn't. he didn't remember them from his own life because he would have been a tiny baby, but probably heard repeated what his own father had said. His father had said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to rescue his people and redeem them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us to rescue us from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. That was what was in the air in those days. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was living right on the eve of the Messiah. He believed that. That's why he said that praise song. But now, in prison in the prison of Herod the king, in a dark confinement, John is listening. People coming and going, talking, guards talking, visitors even possibly, people on the street. John's listening for news that the Messiah was punishing the wicked and rescuing Israel. But he's not hearing anything about revolution. No news came like that. Prophecy had given plenty of ground To expect that there would come a Messiah who would deliver God's people from their enemies. But the trick is, enemies come in all kinds of guises. Enemies might look like Roman soldiers, but enemies can be otherwise. 700 years before John the Baptist, the prophet Isaiah had declared God's promise of a different kind of deliverer a servant of the Lord who would suffer in his own person Israel's punishment and in that way would deliver the people from the covenant curses. This will be familiar scripture to you, but listen to it. Then, says Isaiah's writing, by that deliverer will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer... And the mute tongue sing for joy. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. See, Isaiah is writing this 700 years before Christ comes to earth. Isaiah is a prophet. God gives him the message. He just speaks it. Like his ancestors and contemporaries, John knew that prophecy, but but he couldn't connect what had been prophesied with what he was hearing that Jesus was doing. Because the kind of deliverance you're looking for, the kind of Messiah you're looking for, depends on which prophecies you're focusing on. And John knew all the prophecies, and so he was confused. Jesus didn't usually answer questions like the one John sent to him. But listen again to how he answered John. He says to John's messengers, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And good news is proclaimed to the poor. I would love to have been in the cell when John got that message. Jesus described his own ministry in words that exactly echoed the prophet Isaiah. And just so nobody in the future would be confused, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew repeatedly makes the point. At at the end of uh, one section of Matthew 8, he's talking about Jesus delivering a man from demons, and he says this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Matthew makes that connection explicitly over and over. People were seeing and experiencing exactly what God had promised. So John asks Jesus, Are you? And Jesus says, Yes. Isn't that thrilling? I mean, I'm just thrilling to me. To those with eyes to see and ears to hear, Jesus' healing signaled an end of hurting for those that he cured. And it signaled a foretaste of wholeness for everyone. Jesus himself makes that clear because on another occasion of healing, he gets into an argument with the Pharisees, naturally, their fault. But Jesus has just delivered a man from demons, a man who couldn't see or speak. And he delivers the man from the demon and the man is totally cured. And the Pharisees say, it's only by the prince of demons that that fellow drives out demons. Can't you just imagine their snarky sounding voices? Jesus knows what they're thinking, and here's what they're saying. And he says to them, if I drive out demons by the prince of demons, then by whom do your people drive them out? Think about that, he says. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. The Pharisees saw Jesus healing as sorcery, but Jesus declared it was a sign Not only of a present reality, present when he was standing there with them, but of a reality to come, the kingdom of God. They knew that language from of old. Within history, Jesus is saying, the eternal God has enacted a sign of the kind of things that will be happening that will bring history to an end. Jesus is acting and he's signing all the time. The last book of the Bible, I believe I read this one of the last few times I preached, but I love this scripture so much and it works. The last book of the Bible envisions exactly the reality Jesus was enacting. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. Only when God's kingdom has finally fully come will there be no more need for healing. What was briefly and partially experienced in the earthly ministry of Jesus will then be whole forever. Can you imagine? Can you just sit with that? I really challenge you occasionally just to sit with, what will it be like when the kingdom of God comes fully and we don't have any more Ukraine problems? We don't have any more border problems. We don't have any more cancer diagnoses. We don't have any more children being hurt and abused. Just think about that the beauty and wonder of the kingdom of God. So what does that mean for us now? Because I think we have some hard questions to ask about healing. Well, let's be clear first of all about what Jesus did. I have been using, and I think most of us would use the words heal and cure synonymously. But those are not the same thing. Healing and curing are not the same thing. Curing... You can be cured, i said, looking at a slide here, you can be cured without being healed. And you can be healed without being cured. That sounds like double talk, but it's not. Listen carefully. You can be cured without being healed, we can be healed without being cured. And then it's because curing means getting rid of all evidence of disease. Nothing wrong with that. If you've got a disease, who doesn't want to get rid of it? But healing means being made whole. Follow along here. Curing means getting rid of of all evidence of disease. Healing means being made whole. Healing really might include physical cure. Many times it did. Certainly when Jesus was healing and curing people, if you were blind and then you can see, you got a physical cure. But you also, with Jesus, got the rest of the healing. You got wholeness. You got a renewed spirit. Healing really does mean, and this is the best word for it, the Hebrew word, shalom. It means wholeness. It means peace. It means soundness, wellness, completeness, health. This is what everybody's seeking, isn't it? Isn't that why you do yoga? (laughs) I mean, I do yoga to loosen up my lower half, but you might also do it for wholeness. Seriously. Isn't that what we want? Don't you just want to say, Whew. okay, I'm whole. I'm healed. And I'm going to tell you right now, no pill in the world will give you that. I don't care how high you get. No amount of medication, liquid or otherwise, will put you in a state where you are whole. You are whole. I'm not arguing against, I'm not arguing against pharmaceutical curing. I'm talking about people trying to get there on the fast track. Not happening. Because shalom means all that now and forever. Jesus is the prince of shalom. I'm taking the Greek word and transliterating it into a Hebrew word. Shalom is the peace of the Lord. When Jesus was getting the disciples ready for his crucifixion, he says to them, shalom I leave with you. My shalom I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. In his earthly ministry, Jesus cured people, but he did more than cure. He granted shalom, healing. On the cross, he secured our forgiveness for sins, everlasting life, and the gift of shalom for all who will receive it. Jesus didn't cure everybody, though, and this is where the kind of problem comes. Jesus didn't cure everybody when he was on earth. He didn't even address every disorder when he was on earth. When Jesus walked the earth, people got torqued off about him. They were offended by him because he didn't be Messiah the way they wanted him to be Messiah. I'm sure there were people we don't read about in Scripture who were aggravated that he didn't come to their town. Now, where's my healing, Jesus? Jesus. One scholar writes, and I like the way he says it, it takes spiritual discernment to avoid being put off by Jesus. Because you and I both know that every time we pray for healing, we don't necessarily get a cure. I mean, that's just the fact. There are probably people sitting here who are ill now with one thing or the other. Seriously. I mean, there are things that happen. To, I'm talking about big and little long-term and and instantaneous. We pray for healing. We don't always get it. But what we really want is cure. So what do we make of the fact that you pray for stuff and it doesn't happen? Jesus is supposed to be such a big healer. Well, I, I just want to be honest with you, and I want to state it simply. We can only hope for cure. We can look for it, we can seek for it, we can go to every doctor in the world. We can only hope for cure, but we can always expect healing. I say that humbly because I know what it means to hurt. You get a life-altering diagnosis or a life-threatening disease and you just want it out of your body. You just want to be done with it. And so we hope, and we search, and we pray, and we try everything. But deep in the heart of our disease, our disability, our pain, and our suffering, deep in the heart of that, we hope for more than absence. We hope for more than absence. Deep in the heart of our hopes, even when our hopes are satisfied, we long for wholeness. Even when your cancer goes into a remission, even when your bones knit back together, even when your migraines stop, you want to be whole, not only cured, but how can we have that when we hurt? I want to tell you two very short stories, and I know I've been preaching long, so if it's just too long, get up and walk out, but I just want to tell you two things, two short things. (laughs) Well, you know, you can't tell the truth in two seconds, but anyway, (laughs) that's a soundbite, that's a problem. The first story is scriptural, and you'll know it, so I'll try to shorthand it. In the second letter to the Christians in Corinth, the Apostle Paul, or someone on his behalf, writes this. He talks about an amazing visionary revelation God had given him. I mean, it was mind-blowing. His mind was blown. He was so high and elated about it, and he was really concerned about how to get it out to other people. And so he says this. In order to keep me from becoming conceited about this big revelation he'd received, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. This is the Apostle Paul now we're talking about. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness And so Paul writes, therefore I will glory all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I have to stop and take that in because I find that a very hard word. I find that a very hard thing to take in. So you've got stage four cancer. You don't want to hear about how much fun Paul's having being sick. But as far as we know, Paul was never cured of that thorn. We don't even really know what it was. But we don't have any evidence that he was cured of it. What we do know is that in Christ, Paul's life was just bathed in shalom. In every word the man wrote, every word he dictated, we hear it, that Paul's joy and faith just shine through. According to his own words, he's in physical torment, but he praised God for when I am weak, he said, then I am strong. Paul's God-given strength, despite his physical pain, brought him joy. And brought him closer to Christ, and through him, untold millions of people have been brought to faith in Christ. And my mother was one second story. My mother started losing her sight when she was fairly young of a wasting eye disease. She prayed, she was a, one of the best Christians I ever knew. She prayed. She searched for a cure. They went to Johns Hopkins. They did all kinds of research. They did all kinds of stuff. It was both eyes. It was bad. So all the time, while she was continuing to seek a cure and pray for a cure, she prayed also that whatever it takes, that's what she said, whatever it takes, she wanted to be able to help others come to Christ. Because her eye disease was robbing her of being able to teach anymore. She couldn't teach Bible anymore. That was all she loved to do. She couldn't do it because she couldn't read. And so eventually she couldn't see to read at all. And so she would sit and listen while people who loved her would read Scripture to her and read missionary books and read Sunday school lessons. They were caring for her. But all the while, her weakness was drawing them closer to God. I know for a fact that at least one of those people was drawn closer to God. By reading those scriptures and reading those lessons, God's grace was sufficient. Like the Apostle Paul, God didn't grant cure. Mother just leaned harder and harder into Jesus. She told me before she died, I just want to wake up and see Jesus' face. I'm sure she did one way or the other, whatever that means. Because in her weakness, God gave her joy and made her witness strong. So in the midst of our hurts, whatever they are, and I don't know yours, nor you mine, but in the midst of them, what can we do and how can we witness? Well, first of all, we need to pray the Lord's Prayer every day. And I'm not being stupid here. I'm just saying, pray that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is on heaven. Wouldn't you like that? Well, pray about it. That's what Jesus said to do. Pray. The kingdom of God, however you, you visualize, however you imagine that to be. Secondly, remember that until it does come fully, we're gonna have hurt and pain. And if we don't, people that we love will. The world has hurt and pain aplenty. So we need to hope and pray for cures. If we have the scientific know-how and God gives us the opportunity or the genius, we need to find cures. We need to disseminate them. We need to make medical treatments available as broadly and inexpensively as possible. If you're in a position to do some of that stuff now or later, do it. That is your commission from God. But maybe you're not a medical genius. Maybe you're just a, a regular person, just, okay, then relieve suffering. Care for people who are hurting. Pay attention to people who seem down and out because they probably are down and out. Resist evil. Pray for and work for political solutions for things like medical care and so forth. When we see from Scripture what the kingdom of God can look like, commit ourselves to the causes that will do what God wants us to do to bring his kingdom starting today. He'll decide when it comes fully but we have work to do today. And then the last thing is we have to share the good news with other people. People are dying and hurting to hear the good news. God may or may not grant you a cure. Science may or may not provide a cure but healing is yours for the asking. Wholeness. I know, I don't know Apostle Paul, I'm not quite that old. I knew my mother. I saw a woman suffer for decades, going blind, slowly, inexorably, going blind. And she kept the joy of the Lord. She kept the joy of the Lord and was bringing people to Christ in her assisted living room, <laughs> Bring the young woman to Christ with, that was washing her feet. I mean, just doing the deal until it was over. Not because she was given a cure, but because not given a cure, God gave her strength, her witness strong. That's what we can be. That's what we can do. We need to do it in the name of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we honor you and we praise you For every cure you give, every healing you give, we praise you, God, for your earthly ministry through Christ that many were cured, joy was brought to many, and Lord, we praise you for his death on the cross and his resurrection, that healing will be available to all. Lord God, I pray that someone who reads this today or sees this today will not be offended by my presentation but will hear your truth in it and will know that you are for them. You have them. You love them. And they will avail themselves of what Jesus has bought for them. Come to us, Lord, in your spirit to give us peace that passes understanding that we may love as you love. We may embrace as you embrace. We may indeed know Shalom. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Who is Jesus? For more information about Jesus or about Central West End Church, please visit www.centralwestendchurch.com.